Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, we're going to talk about some of our favorite cookbooks of the year. I love this book so much. And then I was like, is the Nerdette podcast as into grilling ribs as I am as a native Texan? I don't know. But listen up, folks. Then some of our favorite food nerds chime in with ideas for delicious stuff you could make like right now. You know, this is just almost the best time of the year for vegetables and fruit. It's so exciting. But first, we take a minute to pause, shake off the week that was, and chat about what's going on with two of my favorite co-workers. With us this week, we have the senior producer of WBEZ's talk show Reset, Meha Ahmad. Meha, hello. Hey, Greta. Happy to be here. Oh my gosh, delighted to have you. We also have WBEZ Metro reporter Adora Namigade. Adora, hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, so another big recent story is... The BBC announcement about who would play the next Doctor in Doctor Who. It's Shudi Gatwa. He's Scottish and Rwandan. He is the first person of color to have this role in the show's 60-year history. Now, Meha, you're a big Who person, right? I am. I love him as Eric in, if you see, if you've ever watched uh, Netflix's show Sex Education, which has a great cast. I mean, Gillian Anderson is in it. Um, I'm, of course, blanking on literally everybody else in the show, but the whole team, the whole <laughs> show is really good in it. Um, but when he's in a scene, he just eats it up. I mean, he just pops off the screen. Everything he does is perfect. And like he, I mean, just any de- line he delivers is I never would have expected anybody to deliver the line that way or perform this part mm-hmm. that way. And so I just always loved him on the show. And then I saw he was going to be Doctor Who. And I'm like, if you've ever watched Doctor Who, the character itself, you know, each actor brings their own thing to it. But the character is somebody who has to be sort of like charismatic and unpredictable and just someone who, you know, um, you have to believe that anybody would follow them anywhere. I 100 percent would follow, follow Shudi Gatwa anywhere he crooked his finger and i'm so excited to see like what he does to this role yeah i feel like there's and there has to be just given like the storyline of the doctor like there has to be a defiant joy to that character and i think it's going to be really fun to see what he comes up with and of course like he's taking over from jodie whittaker who is the first woman to play the role so i I think it's partly just really exciting because it's like the franchise is finally updating in a really important way after a really long string of white guys playing that role, you know? You know, they've been really lucky when they've uh, cast young people. I know in the, um, when they first did this reboot, it was uh, David Tennant. And yeah. a lot of people criticized that, like, what? You know, why would you guys hire, you know, these like really young people to play the doctor? And there was a point where, like, him and Matt Smith, people were calling them the boyfriend doctors because it was kind of like... But those are my boyfriend doctors. <laughs> <laughs> These young cuties. Matt Smith was like the youngest person to play the doctor at like 26. And Shudi Gat was 29. But like they've actually, you know, really proven a lot of critics wrong when they've cast 
young people to play this like ancient character. This character's like in over a thousand years old, I think twelve, thirteen hundred years old. So mm. I think we're gonna we're gonna be in for a really fun season when he when he takes over the role. Yeah, I think it's really exciting. So also this week we saw in other casting news, there was racist backlash against a casting announcement in a new Percy Jackson movie. Leah Jeffries, who's a woman of color, is going to play a character who is who is a white person in the books. Um, people are mad. The author is mad at the people who are mad. Um, Andorra, I was just curious, like, do you think there's a certain irony to like both of these stories happening so close together? Or is it just sort of history? I mean, you know, I think about the Hunger Games thing, which was Hmm. how long ago was that now that like there was very similar backlash? No, that's true. And the Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I how do I say this? Like, I feel like sometimes there are some white people who feel like maybe there's like some loss of power that comes with like people of color being cast in these roles or like they feel themselves being erased or something like that. That's the only thing that I can think of in terms of why yeah. it would make someone like that upset for a person of color to like play a fictional character who is white, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm always dumbfounded, but I think at the root of it, it it's something to do with that. So another story from this week was the demise of the iPod. Apple announced they're going to stop making music players, which first came out on the market back in 2001. Obviously, this makes total sense. Like we can play music on our phones very easily. Um, I know I have at least one iPod hiding around somewhere. I haven't even tried plugging it in in a really long time. Adora, do you still have any like hiding in a drawer somewhere or anything? I definitely still own an iPod Nano and an iPod Shuffle. Somewhere in my stuff in my parents' garage. And it does make you feel like, oh, gosh, you know, it's a relic of my past. Or it's weird to, like, walk into a museum, by the way, and then you see these things you were, like, using when you were 15. I am at that age. I guess I'm wise now, hopefully. But, yeah. I think the Nano and the Shuffle are what I have, too. What about you, Maha? Do you still have any lying around? I think an early generation of the iPod that I don't even know if turns on anymore like, if right. I, even if I found the charger, I don't think it would. Um, but what's funny is I'm pretty sure it's packed with a Walkman. <laughs> a real OG. I have more connection with that Walkman. Like, I want to bring Walkmans back. <laughs> Walkmen? Walkmans. Um, I want to bring that back before the iPod. Like, I feel like that was, I don't know, that was like... I felt way cooler holding a Walkman than I did <laughs> walking down the street than I did at iPod. Those little iPods were like bricks, too. I mean, remembering the really old school ones, like they were probably, what, three pounds or something? Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I could have the arm strength to carry one at this point. I don't know, though. I do think another interesting aspect of this story is the fact that, like, we are talking right now on a thing that is called a podcast because of the iPod. Yeah. Whoa. Is now the time to rename the word podcast? And if so... What are we going to call it instead? Wait, Adore, were things good literally named podcasts because of the iPod? Because that blows my mind. I did not know that. It was a combination of um, uh, iPod and what, like broadcast? What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I literally didn't know that. That's crazy. <laughs> Teaching people things every day here. On your <laughs> Seriously, thank you for helping me mind. learn. Wow. So, yeah, that's you have so this thing funny. called the podcast that's endured, but... You know, the the thing that it's named after is no longer around and that's obsolete. So I kind of I, I I hear you, Greta. Like, I think changing the name. I mean, I think a lot of people have criticized the name podcast, you know, since I its mean, inception. Yeah, it's pretty lame. I think changing the name would be cool. I just can't think of what it would be. I just have like boring, uh, like alternatives like audio cast. And that's not 
easier to say than podcast. So I just don't have any cool alternatives. Also, it's hard because I think that like a part there's a facet of language that's like so natural and so you would have to have like enough people be like really angry about the term podcast in order to get the whole culture to like get rid of the term you know what i mean yeah that's very true so so we're gonna stick with podcasts we might have to but i don't know people might be mad i don't know if you're mad let me know no i'm not fired up about it maybe tomorrow (laughs) there we go we'll start a movement tomorrow but today nah So also this week, the New York Times published a story about friendship. It was by Catherine Pearson. It was super interesting. It was kind of an aggregate of a lot of different research that has been on my radar before. You know, the idea of like whether friendship is on the decline and the fact that, you know, people who don't identify as lonely tend to have fewer health problems, which is fascinating. Um, So the thesis of this story essentially is like if not being lonely is good for you, then how many friends is kind of like the perfect number of friends And this is where mileage may vary. Um, Studies cited in the article have come to a few different numbers. Some say, you know, like any is better than none. Um, An inner circle of five close friends. Another study from 2016 suggested people who have six or more friends show improved health over the course of their lives. Adora, what did you find that was interesting about this story? Yeah, no, I really loved the article. So thanks for sharing it with us. Um, I, I just find it interesting that like, there are things that are generally applicable to people, but yet at the same time, specific people, mileage may vary, like you just said, right? Mm-hmm. So the author um, themselves said that they were an introvert and they just wanted like a couple of friends, right? But that, that they could see their husband was <laughs> really sad during the <laughs> pandemic and just like wanted to be around more people, which is totally where I fall, by the way. I'm definitely like an extrovert, extrovert, you know, mm, um, yeah external processor whole shebang like I will go to the park to just look at people I don't even need to talk to them but just being around people I'm like wow but I think I have like four like best best friends and two of them I don't talk to that much so then it was interesting I wanted to see what the article said about like what does it actually mean to be close and in the article they said that like you know that there's no agreed upon definition but I was just thinking about the fact that I have four people I consider my best friends Two of them I talk to like every day. Two of them I barely talk to. But they're all hmm. like equally my best friends because they all That's have my so back. Yeah. yeah. And I would tell all of them anything. I just don't happen to talk to the other two that much. Right. But it's probably one of those where like, you know, when you do, you can. Exactly. And it'll be the same as ever. Right. Like one of them I brought as my date to a wedding um, a few months ago. And mm. I hadn't seen her in like five years, but I knew it was going to be great. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Meha, do you have enough friends? <laughs> This is a moment to be honest. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah. I thought it was interesting when they said like your inner circle. I have like you know everybody serves sort of like a different, plays a different role in my life, and I have like inner inner circle friends, and then like pretty inner circle friends, and then like there's like a ring, of, like where there's like right. levels, three to six, I think was the recommendation in the article. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah, my, my my closest friends fall in that range. Um, what I thought really stuck out to me and I, you know, kind of had to like take a minute, um, after I read it, it was like a 2010 analysis that cited in the New York times piece found that loneliness is as harmful to physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah, man. Yeah. Wow. And I read that like four times. I was like, wow. Like, thank you for pointing that out. I missed that. And it's the kind of thing that kind of really just like flies under the radar. You don't realize how much you're affected by something like loneliness and it just, I don't know. I was like, 
I need to start telling people who might be feeling lonely, like to get on the meetup app. Like, I just want to make sure everyone's super healthy right now. (laughs) Well, I think, too, like, I mean, you know, obviously the pandemic isn't over, but stuff is opening up. Things seem, you know, like there is a possibility of meeting people in new ways that there hasn't necessarily been over the past couple of years. I'm going to start volunteering soon. I think that's a great idea. That's awesome. Art classes are a good idea. I think also the idea of like. If there's someone who you met once who you had a really nice time meeting, like DM them on Instagram and ask like someone literally did this with me earlier this week and was like, hey, I would love to be like if you have any open positions for friends, I would love to be considered. (gasps) And it was super sweet. I'm like, that's the thing you can do. That (laughs) line. Right. It was adorable. I loved it. I was delighted. Yeah. Someone, a friend of mine um, who's now a really good friend of mine, but um, I had only I mean, we've only been like, you know, casual acquaintances before. It was like last summer was like she just messaged me out of nowhere and was like, I feel like you would like the Renaissance Fair and I really want to go, but I don't have anybody who wants to go with me. Is this weird? Can you come with me? And I was like, she already knew you so well. I'm in. Thanks for calling me. And I like we ended up having a great time and we still talk and hang out a lot more now. But like sometimes it's like really nerve nerve wracking to like reach out to somebody out of the blue and be like, it is. Yeah, I know we don't talk that much, but you want to do this thing with me and i really appreciated it well friends i'm so glad you came on thank you so much mahana thanks for having us yeah thanks for having us we need to remember what's important in life friends waffles and work or waffles friends work doesn't matter but work is third Even though for some ungodly reason, temperatures hit 90 degrees in Chicago this week, summer has not yet officially begun. We are still less than halfway through the year, but there have been a ton of great new cookbooks out this spring, and our next guest is here to tell us about some of them. Alex Beggs is a freelance writer. She wrote about some of the best cookbooks of 2022 so far for Bon Appetit, and we made her narrow the list down to her top five. Her top choice, her number one pick, is Eric Kim's Korean American. Eric Kim is so much fun to read. He's a New York Times food columnist, and this book kind of covers his Atlanta childhood, and it's a lot of inspiration from his mother's Korean cooking, but it's very much his modern, Americanized, personalized riffs, very creative. Um, But the whole experience of reading it is really fun and playful, and you just feel like You've got your friend here guiding you. And the recipes are, uh, I was going to say easy, but that almost sounds like it's basic. But it's, mm. so they're they're easy. They're simple. They're uncomplicated. We love that word. <laughs> yeah. But with really punchy flavors and a big payoff. So one of my favorite recipes that I made from this was L.A. style kalbi, which is flank and short ribs, so like a thin cut short yes. rib. You do it in a marinade, and his marinade includes Sprite as a sweetener. I think it's based off his mom's oh. recipes, which was fun. Like, I haven't had Sprite in so long, and I was like, ooh, I'm going to get to drink a Sprite while I make this. And it wasn't as good as I remembered it. So that was kind of... Of course not. That was a moment for me of, like, who have I become that I, I'm not enjoying Sprite? That's hilarious. But how was it in the marinade? I mean, that sounds like it could be kind of a... Because you want that sweetness. Yeah, so I think there's pear or apple in it, too, for sweetness. But, it, mm. I mean, Sprite is is adding sweetness and the lemon-lime acidity. So it's a really smart ingredient, if you ask me. And in Texas, sometimes you come across ribs that, have, that are cooked in Dr. Pepper. Similar kind of, like, sugar flavor 
um, alternative. Anyway, so you, it's an easy marinade. And then all you do is after, you know, they've been sitting in your fridge all day is cook them in the oven for 30 minutes and they get caramelized from all that sugar. It's just an amazing, juicy, meaty oh. texture. God, that sounds delicious. Okay, cool. So I'm excited to check out that one. Um, what about a good day to bake? This looks really fun too. Yes. And so this is written by Benjamina Aboyhi, who was a contestant on Great British Bake Off like, I don't know, years ago. Um, <laughs> don't ask me to like, what, how have there been like 47 seasons of that at this oh point? God, I don't yeah. know. I have no idea. <laughs> um, but so this is her second cookbook and I really fell in love with it. I, I have a kind of like a thing for British cookbooks, I feel, not just because they're in grams, which is nice if you have an electric scale, um, but it's interesting to see the differences between a British cookbook and an American cookbook, especially when it comes to baking, because, you know, she has like a very delicate touch with some of the flavors. There's like herbs and teas used, and, and, it, and even the photography is like very calming. The concept of the cookbook is... You know, these are just casual and pulse baking recipes, not three day croissant showstoppers. So everything I've made so far has been um, very easy. I've almost always had all the ingredients ready to go in my pantry to make them. But but there is I, I would say that they're for a slightly more experienced baker, someone who does have an electric scale and like several varieties of sugar in their pantry. I made um, like, for example, I made cornflake caramel like crispy bars just kind of like a rice crispy bar but with cornflakes but you have to make a homemade caramel and if you've never done that it can be like a little bit of a stressful process Mm. but and british cookbooks do not overwrite things so sometimes you're kind of like googling at the same time (laughs) is my caramel (laughs) like totally fucked up it's not it's fine you know i mean you're burning sugar right so it's like there's pretty good forgiveness around caramel i feel like and sugar's so cheap that the f- every time I make caramel, I usually do mess it up the first time, and I'm just like, whatever, yeah, I'll make it again. Yeah, um, it's fine. And one of these days, I'll make it right on the first time as I grow <laughs> as a human being. <laughs> but I love this book. Oh, and the, it has a, in the review for Bon Appetit, she, she has this, a beige chapter. It's all beige recipes because, as we know, beige <laughs> foods often the most delicious foods. And from that chapter, so I made a very simple brown sugar custard. And it was so good with just like a bowl of strawberries. And I'll definitely be making that again. Okay, so the next one on your list, I have to say, like really spoke to my heart. This is snacks for dinner, which as a person who like loves dips, I was just like, ooh, this sounds amazing. Yes, buy this for the dip chapter alone. I think this is the most good giftable book on the list. I, mm. It's really playful. Um, it's such a fun concept. Lucas Volger is the author. He's a food editor and writer. And the way it works is like, sure, you could take it literally and have dip for dinner, but it's also just full of recipes that are good for parties, picnics, like meal prep. It's just snacky things that you are always looking for around your house and then you only find peanuts and you're like, well, I really wish I had Chex Mix with ramen in it right now. Um, Mm. And he is vegetarian and I was like, is this book vegetarian? Oh, I totally forgot it was. And I'm glad we're at that point in history where it just is a book full of great recipes that just so happens to be vegetarian, very vegan and gluten-free friendly mm-hmm. and there's just you know depending on how much in the mood you are to cook you can make 
a blended dip, or you can make like baked Parmesan crackers. There's a kind of a range of types of recipes here, but all of them are made for sharing, which I love. That's super cute. And I also have to mention the subtitle of this one is Small Bites, Full Plates, Can't Lose, which like that Friday Night Lights reference in there is like, okay, Lucas, I'm with you on this. I like it. Yeah. Immediate (laughs) trust. Yeah. Exactly. So tell us about Bloodzo's Barbecue. This is one I hadn't heard about. I love this book so much. And then I was like, is the Nerdette podcast as into grilling ribs as I am as a native (laughs) Texan? I don't know. But listen up, folks. Um, I mean, I will say I don't have a grill. But like one thing I love about barbecue is like all the amazing sides. So I'm excited to hear about this. The sides are amazing in this book. But also there's a whole it's it's beyond barbecue. There's a whole soul food Sunday chapter. There's seafood. There's Mexican recipes that I thought were really amazing. Um, And uh, so so the story is Kevin Bledsoe is a pit master in California. His grandma had a barbecue stand in Corsicana, Texas, and she kind of taught him the ropes of brisket and ribs, especially. It's very Texas-style barbecue. And he opened a spot in Compton that's now, that I think has now moved to like smack dab in the middle of Hollywood, and it's completely beloved. And so these are the recipes at the restaurant, but also just from his family and from his life and interest in different types of cuisine, like all the Mexican recipes. So what I love about this book is on the cover, it's like black and very badass and moody looking. He's There's like smoke rising from him in the background, but it's inside. It's absolutely hilarious. He's so funny. And most cookbooks are just so self-serious and they're teaching you something. And Sometimes it can just come across as like very sterile, but in this, it's like he's cracking jokes left and right. It just feels like we're like sitting around in his backyard drinking iced tea and talking shit. And he talks about the role of talking shit in his family, too. So that seems like to set the tone. Another funny thing is he's not like a dessert guy. A lot of the desserts are his aunt's cheesecake and his mom's strawberry cake, things like that. But it, the chapter opens with just his favorite dessert, which is Hennessy on the rocks. Like, the, like he had the opportunity to write a cookbook and he did yeah. whatever he wanted. Oh, and I love that. That's amazing. And you actually helped work on some of the words in the next cookbook you want to talk about, right? Yes. So I have to say that one of my favorites is The Cook You Want to Be by Andy Varagani because um, I shamelessly, uh, I just kind of like worked on the head notes with him. He's a wonderful cook, but I think he, he just, when it's time to put stuff down in words, he's like, what? Um, so we would like talk through the recipe. Why is it amazing? What's the takeaway here? So I got to know this book very intimately and cooked a lot from it. Andy, uh, was a editor in Bon Appetit Test Kitchen for years. So I've just really drawn to his style of cooking, which is very vegetable forward, very bright and beautiful. And then he has kind of like a decadent restaurant side. So it's a good cookbook for, you know, trying to eat vegetables in more creative ways, as well as when you really need to show off for people coming over to your house. (laughs) Uh, And he, he kind of leans into very bright acidic flavors too so you when you buy this book you have to buy a bag of lemons (laughs) in bon appetit we have a couple excerpts that you can cook out and see for yourself one of them is a lamb and 
shell ragu so like buy the giant shells oh, that one looks amazing and it's so yeah. fun because like you normally buy those shells to stuff with ricotta yeah. and like that but he's like no like buy this huge shell one because it's just kind of fun and you feel like a mermaid eating it and then <laughs> two because the, the shells would like capture the lamb or whatever sauce you're making in a way that's like a pasta taco oh terrible comparison but either way it works out it's so yummy um and he's and that involves raw pistachios too right yes and i love yeah lots of nuts in this he incorporates a lot of he thinks about the dish kind of from start to finish so if you're not used to the idea of plating your food like i think you kind of accidentally learn to do that when you cook from this book like how to Mm. present things really beautiful and a lot of the secret to that is like topping with fresh herbs and nuts and it just adds not only like a, another visual element but texture too oh, that sounds amazing i also love the idea of just like leaning into mermaid vibes <laughs> i know look out for my mermaid cookbook coming spring 2023 um, <laughs> not a squid well, alex those were all such great recommendations i can't wait to get in the kitchen thank you so much anytime happy to Did you just listen to that segment and think, okay, Greta, that's awesome, but that's too many cookbooks. I can't fit them on my shelf. I can't afford to spend that many dollars. Well, if you are overwhelmed by the magical abundance of cookbooks out there, Alex actually brought up a really great point. But cookbooks can be expensive, so keep in mind that you can get them from the library. And sometimes I do that just to feel out, am I cooking from this? Am I enjoying it? Do I want to invest in buying this? I don't have any actual data on this, but I am convinced that like, probably at least 80% of our listening audience is made up of librarians. You know we love y'all. Okay, in just a minute, more food content. Some of our favorite food nerds share some of their favorite spring recipes. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. In case that last segment made you hungry and you want to cook something immediately, yes, we are feeling the same way. So we asked three food writers and cooks to give us their recommendations for some fresh and delicious late spring dishes. You know, this is just almost the best time of the year for vegetables and fruit. It's so exciting. That is Tejal Rao. She's the California restaurant critic for the New York Times. She has a newsletter. It's called The Veggie. And she also has a really great point. There is so much new, tender, green, delicious stuff out there. Snap peas, green garlic, fava beans, radishes. Melissa Clark has this recipe for for sugar snap peas where she slices them kind of on a diagonal and then dresses them. And like a lot of olive oil, lemon juice, lemon zest, sliced radishes. You could add boiled fava beans or peas or anything. Yeah, any vegetable. 
do I get to talk about dessert too? <laughs> yes, please. So, okay, so then Claire de Boer, who's the chef in New York, has a she calls it strawberry tahini soft serve. It does not require a machine. So you freeze the strawberries and then you put them in a blender with um, cream and yogurt and tahini, which kind of swirls through. It's so delicious. Like, I want to make that right now. <laughs> I think it's even in the recipe. It's like step six eat immediately. <laughs> May Lee is a cookbook author based in North Carolina. She is also super jazzed about spring vegetables, especially asparagus. The moment that I got it, it was sitting in front of me. I got an email from the Food 52 website about their recipe for, uh, they call it absurdly addictive asparagus. And it is a really simple recipe. Um, it's made with pancetta, uh, asparagus, walnuts, lots of garlic and lemon and orange zest. But of course, I didn't have any of those ingredients. But my style is to just cook something anyway, because I like to use up what I have. And so I didn't have pancetta, so I used bacon. I didn't have pine nuts, I used walnuts. Oh, and it has leeks, but I didn't have any leeks. So I figured that uh, red onions are an equally good allium. And I just made the whole recipe with all of the different things, but it was absurdly addictive. I will give them that no matter what. We also checked in with the food and dining editor for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Lagaya Figueres. I mean, this is so basic, but it's so good, is if you have super fresh, you know, plucked from the ground radishes, sauteed radishes and butter is amazing. Sprinkled with salt and then cut up a little bit of parsley. It's so, it just sounds very ordinary, but it's explosive. If you, like us, love talking about what you want to eat, we would love to hear from you. You can chime in with a link to a favorite recipe over in our Facebook group. It's called Nerdette Headquarters, and you can join at facebook.com slash groups slash Nerdette HQ. Right, that's it for today. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. The delightful Maggie Civet builds our newsletter every week, and our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you next Friday. Then, some of our favorite food nudes. <laughs> food nudes! Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.